0: like super well-rested right now. Just like, oh man, it's such a great night of sleep. I got an extra hour. Everybody who put their hands up is not a parent. Let me just tell you, at least not of young kids. Because <laughs> they don't know what day, daylight savings time is. So at five in the morning, they're like, hey, I'm awake now. It's time to start the day. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, but we're here. And I'm excited to be so. Um, we're, uh, we're doing a series, uh, called Cultivate Life, if you've, uh, been around the last several weeks now. Uh, and we do this every fall where we kind of go through our, uh, our core identities as a family of, uh, missionary disciples. Those are the three terms that we use a lot around here. That we're the family of God because of the work of Jesus to make God's enemies his beloved children. And so we love one another like dear brothers and sisters. We are Jesus' disciples, which means we are continuing to grow in our understanding of what it means to receive the words of life from him and live new lives empowered by him. And we are missionaries, which means that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to both live new lives because we have the spirit of Jesus who who was raised from the dead living inside of us, but we also uh, go out and uh, show and share what Jesus is like to others who need to hear about our great God and Savior. So that's who we are as a family, um, and we've been learning just over the last several weeks what does it mean to live that out in the way that we engage in certain key habits. And so these are essentially new to us as a community. We're unpacking these for the very first time where we're talking about what does it mean for us to now cultivate this life, How do how do we participate in the life of God? And we've been using an acronym to talk about this, called Water. And if you think about identities as being kind of the root of who we are, if you think about that as being the base of a of a plant, so to speak, um, that that's who we are, regardless of what we've done. God does that to that work to us by the work of His Son. So that happens before we ever do anything. but there are certain things that we can participate in, certain habits, practices, rhythms of life that help us to essentially throw water on what God has already done. So it takes the, the roots that God has already established in our hearts and helps us to grow into those roots so that we end up producing fruit. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we've been asking that question, how do we abide in Jesus? What does it look like for us to to sink our roots down deep into the life that God has for us through Jesus? And so that that's what we've been doing. And, and this is what, why we're using an acronym called WATER to talk about that. And those it just stands for five key habits that we've been unpacking through this series, which is word, action, time, eat, and reflect. And so last week uh, we ended up talking about time which was time with the holy spirit but but each of these things are things that we as a community want to continue to grow in these aren't just topics that we're going to touch on one time and then kind of forget about as we go forward we want these to be part of the natural rhythm of our life as a community so that they become just outflows of who we are in our identity in christ So we want everybody to be trained up in these things, and we also want us just to be experts who help then kind of pour these things into the lives of other people. And one of the ways that we're going to try to help start to do that is, um, especially in 2018, we're going to start to actually provide both trainings, training for some of these topics so that we can continue to grow in them, because you can't cover everything just in a sermon. Uh, so trainings that are a little bit more interactive, experiential, as well as immersions into some of these other things so that you could actually go and participate maybe even with a Cultivate community that's doing one of these really well and you can learn from them so that you could then take it back to your your own community group, or you could take it back to your family and start to practice this in your everyday rhythm. Some of these things, it's hard to get our minds around how to do them or do them differently if we haven't seen them being done. And today's actually one of those topics. So we want to provide both trainings and immersions to help us to do that. So if you remember last week, we did talk about time, which uh, is particularly time spent with the Spirit. And this is how we put that that habit to spend at least one period of time each week listening for the Spirit's voice individually and communally. Um, so Aaron led us out in that. And I, thank you, Aaron, for doing that. That was incredible uh, to be part of that. Thank you also just for blessing me and and encouraging me through your your message and taking time to do that. Um, was, I really needed that last week. So I just appreciate that. appreciate my family here doing that for me. Um, so I just wanted to... As you maybe had the opportunity to do this throughout the week, to, to start to engage in this maybe as a brand new habit, was there anything that you felt like the Spirit say to you? Anything that, you're, or just that you learned through the experience of maybe practicing this for the first time? Or maybe you've been doing it for years and this isn't a new habit for you, but there's something that you feel like God has you to share. By the way, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, 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 it's amazing how um, I, I think God really wants to saturate everything that we do with himself, with his presence. So it's not just about taking kind of separate space to do it. Although what we were talking about last week, and and this is kind of our theory, is that sometimes it does take us actually eliminating distractions and going into our closet, as Jesus said, praying to our Father in secret for us to develop the ears to hear. But I, I don't think that's God's intention. I think he wants us to be people who listen to him all the time so that when we are on the treadmill at the gym, you know, our ears are open to what he wants to say to us and we can receive the presence of our Heavenly Father and He can begin to instruct us and remind us and encourage us and use us in every instance in life. That's the hope. That's the goal. And I think that's what we're empowered to do. I was thinking about that this week. I just got back, kind of back, back into, back into running. Because <laughs> I was into it for a little while earlier in the year and then I, you know, the summer happens and you go away and you, you know, you do a lot what we're going to talk about today which is eat <laughs> and then and then the rhythm of of being you know exercising doesn't take as a high priority but one of the things i actually love about running especially kind of like late at night when there's no lights and no cars and no distractions is that that's a prime time when i'm actually open to hearing what god has to say so for me that's that's one of the ways that i engage in this rhythm of time with the spirit is actually going for a run and just you know just pressing into him and saying, I'm, Lord, I'm out here. I will go as far as I need to. I want to hear you. And so this isn't so much about my body, but my, my mind and my heart and my soul, just being in tune to what you have to say. And sometimes that happens right away. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all, and I just have to keep that discipline. And sometimes it takes like three miles before I'm going, okay, now I'm finally exhausted to the point where I'm not thinking about everything else, but I can actually hear you. And I found God is really faithful to speak when you give him the time to do so. Thanks for sharing that. I know you shared that with me already, but thanks for sharing it with everybody else. Um, but that's encouraging, right? And, and it's, it's, it's cool to see how God sometimes uses some of these habits and practices together, especially word and spirit. Because as we talked about this when we went through the, the habit of word, like we, we shouldn't just be engaging it as just this dead document because we know that the, the the words of life come through the pages of Scripture. It's not that the book itself, like the pages or anything, are are in any way anointed or special, but the message that comes through it is a message that God wants to use particularly in our hearts if we know him. And so it's no surprise, you know, you're, re- you're reading, and I remember that when I first came to, to be a believer, um, and my roommate gave me a Bible for the very first time, and it was the one, my first Bible that I could actually, like, read, and it made sense to me. And so I, I would read it constantly, and that's one of the ways that I knew that God was actually drawing me to himself, is that the, the words just, they weren't just words anymore, they were food. You know, that, like there there was life-giving sustenance within them. And I just felt hungry for it. And just page after page, story after story, uh, just, you know, book after book, I just wanted more and more and more because I felt like God was feeding me through it. That's one of the great indications. I know other people have experienced that same thing. That's one of the great indications of God working in our hearts. So, and we can, pra- we can continue to practice that as a habit. Um, both through word and through time. I just want to continue to encourage you to make that a weekly rhythm of life. And, and use your community groups as an opportunity to talk about those things, too. If you're struggling with one of those areas, bring that to your groups, too, and just say, hey, I need some people to help me and walk with me with this because I'm having a really hard time making this a habit. Can you kind of help me out with that or give me reminders or keep me accountable because I could use the help? So we're in this together, right? So, okay, so how many of you like to eat? All right, how many of you, uh, you're, eating is already somewhat of a habit in your life. You kind of do it every day, maybe a few times a day, right? All right, we're going to be talking about the habit of eating. And, and this is the way that we're putting it. Share a table with three people each week, at least one of whom is not a member of our church. What would happen if we made this a rhythm? Now, let me start this way and just ask, what's your favorite meal? Breakfast? What do you like at breakfast? All right, there you go, eggs. What everybody else? What's that? Somebody just said bacon? Yeah, bacon, just on everything. Ice cream, chocolate with bacon, you can get anything with bacon on it now. <laughs> you can have bacon on bacon, on bacon, on bacon, on bacon. <laughs> what else? Pizza and pasta. All right, pizza and pasta. You, any of you have like a favorite meal throughout the year? That you just, maybe as part of your family tradition or some, <laughs> all of them? <laughs> I heard somebody say Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was a key one for us. I remember for us, you know, our family ate together a lot. Um, and I remember times around the table as being some of the most significant times in our family. And one of the ones that was significant for us on just a weekly basis was on Sunday afternoons. We'd have Sunday supper, um, which I I don't know if that's a thing anymore or if people practice that. But that was always a time where you, you never know who was going to show up at your table that day. But it was at least going to be the four of us in kind of our our immediate family, but probably others as well, whether those be family members or neighbors or friends, just somebody who's going to show up. And I remember that being a great time as a kid, just going, like, this could be anybody that, that comes to the table, and it, it was usually going to be a fun time. And it was a time where, like, you weren't just rushing to get it done, but you're actually just enjoying both the meal and the people that were at the table, and because that was a kind of a weekly rhythm for, for us as a family, I just I grew to enjoy that environment. It just became life giving for me. Um, and so the good news when we think about the habit of eating is that this is a habit that you're already doing, right? You're you're probably eating like 21 meals a week. But this is what I would venture to guess: the way in which you're eating them may need to change. We may need to have new intentionality around the way that we see the meals that we have. And one of the best ways to actually do that is to look at the way that Jesus ate meals. Because I think we're going to see that the way and the intention around what Jesus did at the table was radically different than the way we often see eating in our lives, in our culture. So help me out with this. You've probably heard this phrase before. Fill in the blank for me. This is something that Jesus said. The Son of Man came, what? I heard to seek and to save the lost. Yep, that's Mark 10:45. Not, Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm sorry, that's Mark 10:20, 10:45. To seek and to save the lost. That's Mark, uh, Luke 19:10. That's two of the three. Do you know what the third one is? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And actually, if you look at those three statements, that tells you almost everything that you need to know about Jesus. It tells you what Jesus came to do, why he came to do it, and how he got it done. Those three statements. The Son of Man was a title that Jesus often used of himself And so let's look at each of these. Mark 10.45 says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Luke 7.34 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so this, this is what it tells us about Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? He came to lay his life down as a servant so that he could pay the price for our sin. He came not as a king to be served, but to lay his life down. He said, I'm going to give my life, my righteousness, my standing before God away to those who are God's enemies so that they could be his dearly beloved children. That's what I've come to do. I'm a king who serves your greatest need before you knew it was a need. Why did he do it? Because we were in need of saving. We were lost and led astray. We were living lives unto ourselves or unto other things, but not unto the one who created us and God wanted to ransom us back to his family, and so that's why Jesus came was to seek us and to save us and to bring us home to our Heavenly Father. Now, how did He do it? What was the what was the greatest demonstration, the clearest example of His mission to serve? and to save us it was by engaging in the habit of eating engaging in the habit of eating in fact eating was jesus's primary strategy for communicating the message of god's grace to the world did you know that there Let's do a little sampling, okay? Let's just see if, in fact, this is true. If you look at the Gospel of Luke alone, and Luke seems to pick up on this pattern in Jesus' life a lot, here are some examples from Jesus' life and time and ministry. Remember, Jesus spent three years from the time he was baptized and began his ministry to the time that he went to the cross. This is how Jesus spent his time. Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. That's Luke 5. He's anointed at Simon's house around a meal, that's Luke 7. He feeds the 5,000, that's Luke 9. He eats at Mary and Martha's house, that's Luke 10. Jesus condemns the Pharisees. Where does he do it? At a meal, Luke 11. Jesus urges his followers to invite the poor and the stranger to their table. Where does he do that? At a meal, Luke 14. He invites himself to dinner at wee little Zacchaeus's house. A wee little man was he, right? Luke 19, Jesus on the last night before he's crucified, what does he do with his disciples? He has a meal. Luke 22, the Last Supper. What's the very first thing that Jesus does with his disciples after he's risen from the dead and he encounters them on the road to Emmaus? He eats with them. Luke 24. I love the way that Robert Karras puts it. He says, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. (laughs) No wonder he was called a glutton and a drunkard. He seems to be eating and drinking all the time. It's a really good thing that they didn't have cars back then, right? (laughs) He did a lot of walking. What's that? (laughs) Well... In the movies that we see, yeah. I I think Jesus probably had a little bit more meat on his bones, but I could be wrong about that. Um, Did you know that Jesus was a party animal? (laughs) Did you know that about our Savior? He loved to party. He loved to eat. In fact, the, the, the very first miracle that Jesus ever does, he shows up at a wedding and he makes the party better. They've run out of wine, and what does Jesus do? He takes 120 gallons and turns it into the best stuff they've ever had. He likes to party. He likes to eat. He likes to drink. His his primary mission strategy was to enjoy good food and drink around a table with friends and strangers, and he did it as often as he could find a table to do it at. when he wasn't eating, he's talking about food. Do you know that? I'm the bread of life. I'm living water. I'm the vine. You are the branches and me, you'll produce much fruit. He's always, even when he's not eating, he's talking about eating. Now, here's the key question. I want you just to consider this. Why would Jesus, who had only three years, think about how long you get on this planet. I mean, Lord willing, hopefully all of us have years, if not decades, left to the time that we can serve the Lord on planet Earth. Jesus had three from the time he began his ministry to the time it ended. And he used hour after hour after hour eating. Why? Why? Why would he make this habit such a high priority when he could have done so many other things? I mean, Jesus had no problem commanding crowds of thousands of people. He he was not lacking power to raise people from the dead, heal them of every sickness, and, and restore life to those who didn't have it. He did that everywhere he went. Why not use more of your time, Jesus, in an efficient way? Because eating is really inefficient. It takes time to cook a meal and to sit down and eat it. And, I mean, there's so many other things that you could be doing with your time, Jesus, and yet you're not using it well. I mean, if you were like an efficiency person and you're looking at Jesus' life, you'd be going, Jesus, you could be doing so many other things with your time. And he didn't. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah. The table is always a means to an end, right? It's a way of engaging people. It's a way of doing something in the lives of other people. You've got to ask that question, what is it doing? And we'll get to that in a second. Why else do you think? Yeah, your guard's down at the dinner table, right? You are who you are when you sit down to a table. In fact, you know every time you sit down at a table to eat, you're explicitly saying that you have needs that can't be met by you alone. Why? Because you're hungry. You need something outside of your body to satisfy something inside of your body. So the moment you sit down at a table, you are implicitly saying, I have needs that need to be met. And Jesus was really good at meeting our needs, right? Can you think of any other reasons why you might have spent so much time doing this? It's fun. fun. Thank you, Marie. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun. You know, Jesus isn't immune to fun. I mean, if He... If he was the word of God that created the world as we know it today, he's the author of fun. If you're not having fun in life, you're not following Jesus. Yep, I said it. (laughs) Because there's a message you don't often hear in church communities, right? Because it's all about serving, it's about doing the right thing and being the right person and all this list of rules that we need to accomplish, these list of things that we got to do for God. Wipe all that away. Jesus wants to join you at a meal and he wants you to have a blast when you do it. He wants to invite you to the party. One of the primary images that we have of what our God is like is a father who is welcoming people into a party who have sinned against him. That's the story of the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son leaves. He comes home. I'm not worthy. I'll be a servant. I'll work out in your field. The father says, no, I'm not having any of it. I'm throwing you a party and you are the star. Come on in because I have good things in store for you. And who's the one who has difficulty joining the party? It's the older brother who thinks that he's done a life of righteousness, who thinks that he's lived a good enough life to earn from his dad the things that he just wants from his dad. Does that sound like religious people to you? Because it certainly does to me. They're the ones who have a hard time, and what's the father doing when that story ends? He's standing on the porch with the son who doesn't want to join going, come on in! Stop making your life a life of drudgery and join the party! I want to celebrate with you. Do we see our lives that way? God wants us to celebrate. We should be the most celebratory people on the planet. I mean, we should be known across the world for the, the quality at which we celebrate everything in life. We have so much more to celebrate than the world does, don't we? We have a risen Savior. It doesn't get better than that. Is that our MO in our neighborhoods, in, in our workplaces? And if not, why not? See, the, the table is, um, is the way that Jesus chose primarily to engage people. In fact, one of the very first instances that we have of this is in Luke 5. And what is Jesus doing with his very first followers? Matthew, the tax collector, throws Jesus a party and invites all of his friends. And Jesus doesn't go, well, thanks for the invitation, but is there going to be alcohol there? Because I don't know if I can come. Uh, Who's on the guest list? Because if they're like at the lower rungs of society, I don't know if I can associate myself with that kind of people. No, he joins the party, right? Which wasn't an implicit um, acknowledgement that what they were doing was good, but that who they were had value. And so he goes. And, and one of the things that happens as soon as he goes is that the religious folks who have a hard time understanding what it is that Jesus is doing in the first place, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they start to complain to Jesus' disciples. And this is what they say. Why do you eat, with, with, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's the question. Why do you spend your time doing this? And especially with those kinds of people. And Jesus answered them and said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus came and invited sinners to repentance. And how did he do it? Not through preaching them a sermon, but by inviting them to a meal. And it reminds me of the verse that says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, it's his grace that helps us to understand that our lives actually need changing in the first place. See, I think one of the reasons that he spent so much time eating, especially with sinners, is because Jesus understood that there is absolutely a connection between our physical needs and our spiritual needs. There's a connection between our spiritual needs and our physical needs. Because here's the the thing. If you watch Jesus' life and those that dine at Jesus' table... Most often, the ones who are open to joining Jesus at the meal are who? Those people who are in touch with their own deep spiritual need. They're the ones that don't have a lot to show for life. They don't have a long resume of things that they can show off to Jesus. They simply just come and Jesus said that's what the kingdom of God is like. Do you remember the parable of the banquet? A great king, his son is getting married, and, and uh, they decide to throw a dinner banquet to celebrate the marriage, and they go out and they invite the best people from town, the upstanding folks, the wealthy folks, the wise, the beautiful, the proud. And all these invitations are sent out all across town. My son's getting married. Come join us. Come into the celebration. And Who comes? Nobody. They're all too busy. They're all too proud. They have so much going on that they can't join. And so it's at that point that the the king says, "Okay, let's go out and invite other people." Then and he, and they go to the streets and they just invite everybody prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors, people that that didn't have the resume and didn't have the full schedule and didn't have all these things. And he said, just come in and celebrate with me. And they come in in mass. And it, in fact, I think it says like the people that were invited see how great the celebration was, but now they can't get in and they're thrown out into the darkness. See, in other words, the table was a spiritual litmus test for our spiritual need for him. Those that were most willing to take the invitation to dine with Jesus were the ones who understand that they truly needed the bread of life the most. Why is that? Because every meal that Jesus had was an opportunity to call people back into relationship with God. He was calling them to remember that God is a good provider. And so he's providing meals saying, this is what our God is like. He he feeds our needs, not just in ways that, that satisfy us something, but ways that actually taste good to us. He wants us to enjoy him, enjoy the life that he gives us. He's a good provider. And ultimately, I think Jesus was appetizing them for how he would ultimately... Come to satisfy every soul because, in fact, He is the bread of life. I remember um, many of you have heard the story of uh, my old neighbor Jim and how we started to just do dinners around our table um, back when we lived in Runnymede. And we thought that it was going to be like people that looked like us, you know, a young family with young kids, middle class. You know, we just thought that, like, this is what we look like kind of as a group of people, as a, as a gospel family. So these are the people that we're going to attract in. And so we, you know, throw out these invitations to people that we knew around town or friends of ours. And none of those people came. <laughs> True to the parable, none of them came. <laughs> but there was one who did. And that was my next-door neighbor, Jim, who didn't have any family who was older in life and single and had no one because his closest family lived in Hawaii. And he, every time we opened the door, every time we set the table, Jim was there. At every meal that he could come to, he was there. And after a while, you know, Jim started to bring his friend Phil, and the two of them would come over, and here we are, a bunch of young families with two 59-year-olds, you know, (laughs) guys who've lived in the same town their whole life, but have absolutely nobody other than us to dine with. And it was through that process that he became like family to us, that we loved him, just not because he was a very lovable person, but because God continued to increase our love for him. And it took a long time, but over that that period of time, he became more and more and more open to not just the community that he was receiving around the table, but the fact that we were doing it in the name of Jesus who loved him dearly and wanted him to know that he's the one that satisfies. You look at the result of... Jesus engaging in the habit of eating. And you see that same pattern in the lives of those that he dines with. Because those who ate with Jesus received the provision to sustain them. Because they didn't have it elsewhere. And and those that dined at his table started to build community around a common meal. They started to feel like they had a place somewhere in this world. They started to slow down from the busyness of their life so that they could be someone and not just do a whole bunch of things. And ultimately, many of those people experienced a change of identity because at Jesus' table, you are no longer just a tax collector or a sinner or a prostitute. You're no longer the lowest rungs of society. You are now a dinner guest of the God of the universe. You get a change of status when you dine with Jesus. And see, the, the more often this happens in our life, the more people, their, their attitudes and their, their outlook on life and the way that they see themselves and the way that they see the world, it begins to change. And it's a slow process, but it happens around the table. See, the result of eating with Jesus was that you experienced a transformation as you were satisfied by him. Now, would it surprise you then to know that Jesus' disciples end up doing the same thing that Jesus does? Right? So Jesus comes to them, and the very last thing he says to them is go into the world and make disciples, baptize them in a new identity. They are now family, they're now disciples, they're now missionaries. Go and teach people what it looks like to obey this new identity in all of life. And guess what the disciples begin to do as a result of hearing that command from Jesus? They eat. Acts two forty six and 47 shows us a picture, this little window into the life of the early church. And this is what it said. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, I think the early community understood something. They understood that every meal is a worship service. Every... Time you eat is eating that's either done unto Jesus or unto another. And so every meal that they had together, they're eating with glad and sincere hearts. Why? Because they're eating around the one that satisfies every soul. And at the same time, they get to welcome everyone who understands that they're also in need of sustenance. What if we saw every meal as that same opportunity? I think if we did, we would eat with people far more and it would also change the way in which we did it. See, I I don't miss the connection here because I think this is intentional. They ate together as a way to remember and celebrate the work of God through Jesus. And what was the result of their eating? God added to their number. As they ate To celebrate and remember, God added. See, eating and adding are linked together in the story of the early church. Why? Because the table became one of the primary ways that the community demonstrated the grace and love of Jesus. It was a way that they extended that same grace and love to other people who had never been welcomed in and never been cared for and never been listened to and never been valued. And now suddenly they're receiving all of those things through a community of people that's treating them like they've never been treated before. And when they say, why would you do this for us? The answer is because it's been done for us too. That's why the disciples ate. Because at at Jesus' table, absolutely everyone is equal. There are no super spiritual and less so. There are no pastors and laity. Everyone is equal at Jesus' table. I love the way Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford put it. They say this, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. Uh, Sounds good, right? Where do I sign up? (laughs) If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. I've experienced that. I haven't always been good at it. But I've gotten glimpses of that. Now, let me ask you this. If, If this habit of eating is just paramount to Jesus and his mission in the world and it's also central to those who came directly after him why is it that we don't make it a regular rhythm in our lives what stands in your way in, in our way what's that yeah that's a big one I had just stumbled across that this morning I had all these other things that I was going to list off and then as I was praying through it this morning. Um, I realized that oftentimes the reason I don't extend invitation to people is because I worship their opinion of me. And I don't want to look weird. Yeah, we are really concerned with what people think of us. And guess what? If you invite people to a meal, it's going to look weird. Like this is where the habits get weird. Because <laughs> you can do the rest of them and, and not kind of be weird. Um, But when you start to have regular meals where you invite people into your home or whatever table that is, we'll talk about a few examples later, you're going to stand out. And at that point, you have to come to a a moment of decision. Am am I going to worship Jesus and rest in the identity that he gives me or am I going to worship the opinions of others and constantly be wondering what are they thinking about me? It's a big barrier. What else? There are others. It's work. work. Okay. Sure, it can be. That can be a big barrier. Maybe we're not a very good cook. Um, Maybe we think that our house has to be completely spotless before we have absolutely anybody over. Which then goes back to what people usually, you know, think about us, rather than using our environment as a way to love people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We 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 make it so much more elaborate than it needs to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, filet mignon and and uh, lobster tail and you know. Maybe we're not going that far, but maybe we think everybody that has to come over, they need to get the good china. Or or maybe we just think that they have to have like the metal stuff and not plastic, you know, things. And we just, we don't want to <laughs> have to wash dishes. Some of the best meals I've been to have been on paper plates with plastic forks and knives. And I'm not just talking about picnics. I'm talking about ones at the dinner table because time, what, we just didn't have time to, to throw out the best but we gave what we had and that was enough yeah <laughs> right so we're yeah so we want the the best dinner parties on the block yeah right and there are other missional christians down the street and they're also throwing dinner parties but we want people to come to ours instead of theirs because We have the better things to serve than they do. It sounds a little bit like the way we view Sunday mornings, actually. Yeah, busyness is the biggest obstacle, I think, in our culture. What's that? The fear of leftovers. leftovers. Don't fear leftovers, man. They're a blessing from the Lord. because then you can practice the other habit of blessing and just give it away to people yeah. there you go what did you yeah what would jesus do with his leftovers there's a book you can, just it's right for the picking gary i think it's calling your name what's that? 12 baskets yeah I mean, I, think, I think our own busyness stands in the way or at least our perceived busyness um, because maybe we just, we haven't given it enough thought to make it a priority. Uh, we haven't joined with other people that can lessen the burden for us. I think that's one of the greatest advantages that we have as a community is that you're, so many of us are already in community groups that can be leveraged to do this together so that it doesn't all fall on one family. I mean we cook what? Once a month of that. Like when our group has dinner, which we we engage in this habit every week as a as a community group. But because we share the burden of that across the group with everybody, there's you know, actually the the burden of having to cook and plan doesn't usually fall on us, uh, which is a great blessing. And then that becomes an easy environment to welcome people into because essentially the table's already set. I don't have to do a whole lot of additional work. I just have to have a few more meatballs or a few more hot dogs ready to go. Or if you run out, guess what? You get, you know, whatever's in my fridge. <laughs> and we've done that too. Um, to be honest, I think when I think of my own heart, I think oftentimes it comes down to for me to the fact that I've been discipled. I've been trained by my culture to see eating in one way. Our culture tells us that eating is to be done in homogeneous groups, nuclear families on your own, at a fast food restaurant, on the go, because you really don't have time for anything more than that. And we've been so indoctrinated by our culture that we think that's normal when actually, I think oftentimes what we're doing is we're eating unto ourselves rather than unto the Lord. We have 21 opportunities a week to use that as a way to engage people that are both in God's family and those that need to know about God's family and I, when i think of my own heart my own life <clears throat> when i think of the ways that i've often engaged eating it's because i'm worshipping something else other than jesus i'm worshipping the food itself rather than him or i'm worshipping my time and i'm complaining to god that i don't have enough of it or i'm worshipping my home and i don't want to invite people into it because they might mess up my space or i'm i'm worshipping my own comfort because i'm an introvert and and You know, when I'm around people, I'm giving away energy rather than being fueled by those relationships. And that can be exhausting to me. And I'll complain to God that I don't have enough relational energy to pour out to people. Because I'm around people during the day. See, Jesus understood that eating, like everything, is a worship event. It is a worship event, and we are worshiping something every time we put something in our mouth. So I just want to challenge you. What if you saw the way that you eat and who you eat with through the lens of your new identity as family, as disciples, as missionaries? Because I think it would radically change the way that we live. It's already a habit. What if we infused that habit with the gospel? I think if we did, then First Corinthians ten thirty one would just be everywhere in us as a community. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We would we would see every every table as a way for the glory of God to fall on us and to fall on others. See, it's no accident even that Jesus calls us to remember Him through what a meal, through bread, through wine. Because every meal that we have together is an invitation to repent of the ways that we haven't used our life for his sake and to to receive forgiveness again and to remember him again. And at the very same time, to extend that same invitation to others who haven't experienced the satisfaction that comes with knowing the bread of life. All right, so let's get practical, okay? How how do we do it? Um, What are what could this habit of eating look like in the rhythms of your life? So you're thinking about this, you're trying to connect the dots between maybe the way that you already live your life and the kinds of, you know, the ways that you eat already. What are some of those opportunities that could be leveraged and saturated with a new way of thinking? What are, what are some of the ways that you already engage or the ways that this could possibly work in your life? How do you already eat? Yeah. Were you stretching? Okay, you weren't. Absolutely, yeah. That's actually the reason that we changed the language of this habit so that it's not three meals a week, but three invitations to a table. It could be any table. It could be a table at Panera Bread where all you're doing is having coffee with a friend. Beautiful, great. Ask God to bless it and infuse it with his presence. By all means, yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. And it But you hear the kids coming up. the hot dog lady. I told you she was here. just remember getting hot dog in the water. Yeah. Yeah. sharing remember her. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hot dog looks really good to a hungry kid who's run out the door right after school in search of candy and forgotten all about eating a meal, you know? So there's a way to engage. We, we did the same thing on Halloween. I'll share a little bit of that in a second. But um, a lot of the parents, when they get a hot dog on Halloween and their kids are cooking s'mores, and they're, like, they just have like three minutes to slow down They don't realize how frantic they've been all day to get to to your driveway. Because they're like, you know, we're going house to house and we're doing this and we're doing that. And I had to get the the kids' costumes on and we had to get out the door because they wanted candy. And now, like, so they're they're just frantic. I mean, they're, they're just, which is the way that we live life. So that when somebody extends a meal to us, even if it's just in the form of a hot dog in somebody's driveway, they go, huh. Oh, I was a little rushed today. <laughs> this is a blessing. And you get to listen to them and, and just say, hey, thanks for coming over. What else? Any other opportunities or ideas? How many of you have coworkers? You ever have the opportunity to eat with them? What's that? Every Thursday. Every Thursday. Great. There's an opportunity. It's a table. You slow down with people. That counts. It's an environment that Jesus wants to fill with His presence. What else? Yeah. So, I mean, the so the the habit of bless can often lead to the habit of eating, and the habit of eating can lead to the habit of blessing. We'll talk about that in a second. But these things you'll find God has a way of using these things together it's not like they're separate from one another you live one integrated life that God wants to fill and use at every moment and so don't be surprised if you see him start to make connections between many of these things yeah 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 what a blessing that is great that's good it's good to know right so if you want to learn what this looks like in the everyday rhythms of life, you go see the Browns. We're just <laughs> really bad at it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean some of the best um, god moments at a meal that I've had are just when you're you're you don't have that intentionality. You're not doing the pre-planning, but you just have a meal and you have space and you weren't planning on having people over, but you're just like, "Hey, we've got extra." Let me see who's available. And then lo and behold, you know, either a member of the family is available or a neighbor or a friend is. And now you have this, you've made the meal better, right? By doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because then everybody's contributing to the meal if they're cooking together. And some of the best conversations happen when you're actually cooking together rather than when you're eating together. That can be a huge opportunity. Uh, we've had some rhythms as a, a group in our past where we've intentionally changed the night that we meet to Sundays, because then we can start earlier and actually cook together, eat together, and then discuss afterwards. And so it elongates that time. Now, you know, n- now we're in football season, and maybe that doesn't work for the two Giants fans that are in our our group. But now it will because they're doing terrible, and I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> yeah, cooking together can be a great thing. I mean, think about Thanksgiving, which is coming up in just a little while. Who could you invite to your table for Thanksgiving? It might be a Christmas party that you host. It might, I'm, I've never done it before, but I know that people have done progressive dinners before, and that could be a really fun thing. So if you have one, invite me, because I want to see it. See, the point isn't the meal. The point is slowing down and inviting people near and far from Jesus to join you at some kind of table. Or for you to join them. Um, So, and, and hopefully what you're hearing is, don't just add a bunch of stuff to your already busy lives. Like, just do what you're already doing, but be intentional with what you're doing. Lift your eyes. Listen to the Spirit. Engage what He wants you to do. Only do what He calls you to do, in fact. Don't feel guilted and burdened by something that I say if it's not from the Spirit. But I trust that He will lead you into ways that are both empowering and refreshing for you. So there is an idea you're just like that idea that Jake gave it just would never work for my life I'm not going to do it. Okay, don't do it and don't feel bad about not doing it, but do what the spirit says. Cuz he will lead you to life. Now, what do you do when you're around the table? Just quickly, I just wanted to give you a couple ideas for okay, you're sitting at a table now, you're all eating together. What in the world do you do? Um well, I didn't have this on the list, but I just, I was thinking about it this morning, and the first is, just pray. And pray out loud, if, if the environment is such that, that you can do it without offending, offending or, or pushing people away. Sometimes you're in an environment with people where you're eating, and it's just not appropriate to just go, okay, hey, everybody, I, I feel the need to, like, thank God for this meal, and they're all like, who invited, you know? But, many times it is. And sometimes when when we've had those dinner environments where we've had people come over with our group, um, the prayer can set the table for the kind of discussion that comes next. And so I just I want to encourage you, like you don't need to pray to bless the food. Oftentimes we do that as Christians. God, would you bless this meal? It's already given to you. It's a blessing. You don't have to magically change the substance of what you're about to eat. Unless you're eating fast food, then maybe you want to pray over it and ask God to bless it so that, I don't know, so whatever he can do will happen and it won't be so bad for you. But every other meal, God's already given it as a blessing to you. Just give him thanks for it. So don't say, God, come and bless this food. Say, God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for friends to share it with. Thank you, God, that you're a good and loving dad that has given us this very moment as an expression of your grace and your love. Thank him. Because oftentimes that leads into great conversation. So here's the first of what I did write down. Ask good questions. Just ask people good questions because questions communicate that you care about other people and it allows you a window into God's activity in the life of the other person. So ask them about their family. Ask about their upbringing. Ask about their job. Ask about their their kids. Ask about what they do for fun. Ask about what God's teaching them if it's a believer in Jesus. Just ask good questions and then listen. <laughs> Engage with what they're saying. Be active in the way that you listen to them. But don't just listen to them. Listen to the Spirit. Because I've often missed... Many, many opportunities because I was listening to the person, but I wasn't listening to what God was saying as the person was speaking. So leave room for that. God, what do you want me to hear in what they're saying? Maybe it's what they're saying, but maybe it's what they're not saying. If they're talking about their upbringing, but they never bring up their dad, maybe there's an issue there. The only way that you're going to know it is that the Spirit brings knowledge that you don't have to that situation and maybe empowers you to ask Questions that you weren't planning on asking. And then share stories. Share funny stories, share s- stories of what you're, f- you're fearing, stories of what your hopes are, stories of what Jesus is teaching you, stories about how he saved you if you get to that point. Just share your life with them. and then it's one of the things the key ones look for ways to bless. Look for opportunities to take action because oftentimes the habit of eating will lead to the habit of blessing. And then when you do this, don't be surprised if people invite you to their table too. Don't be surprised if friendships are formed and you start to actually not just like, but care about and love and are concerned and burdened for the people that you dine with. I trust that God wants to do that. And so... This week, just look for an opportunity to eat with three people. If you want to cheat, do one meal and then have it with three people, and then you're good to go. Okay? <laughs> but make at least one of those not somebody who isn't a member of our family, our church family, um, and share what what God is doing as you're together with your your groups this week. I just want to encourage you. The end of our story ends with a meal. Did you know that? When we get to the kingdom of God in its fullest revelation when heaven itself comes down to earth and earth takes the shape and the form of heaven itself as Jesus comes back again to to marry his bride called the church and make everything new do you know what happens a wedding feast and I'm convinced that every meal here on earth from now until then is an opportunity to get a little glimpse of that ultimate feast that we will enjoy with our great bridegroom. And I'm convinced that it's an opportunity to hold out an invitation to those who don't yet know him so that one day they could dine with him. Can, can we do this? Is it, can we participate in this, family? I hope this is life-giving for us we're going to come to the table this morning these tables to enjoy god's work in our hearts and our life and and i just want to encourage you the blood of jesus was poured out to forgive you of all the ways that we don't do it all all the ways that we don't get it right all and even the guilt that we feel like if we're feeling like man i don't live my life this way all of that is washed away at the cross there's no nothing left No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't feel any of that. In fact, when you come to the tables, just let that the knowledge of what Jesus has done just wash over you again. But he also wants you to know that his body was given for you so that you would be satisfied in him. And so I just encourage you, come hungry. Not just for a meal, but for the bread of life. So let's pray and ask him for that. Father, we do thank you for the way that you modeled this for us. Thank you that every meal is a worship service and an opportunity to give thanks and to remember you and to reconnect with you again. Regardless of how we've used this habit of eating, God, I pray that you would wash away all guilt and shame to know it's all taken care of because of the work of Jesus on the cross and that we can stand before you new But I also thank you, God, that you want to fill us and empower us now for a new way of life. Help our eyes to be open and our ears to hear exactly what it is that you want to do in us and through us to the friends, the family, the neighbors that may be around us. Maybe they're part of our family here and they just they need a meal to encourage them. God, empower us for that. Maybe there are those that are far from you and they need to be welcomed home. Let us engage that and be weird for the sake of our king who loves us. We pray in his name. Amen.